Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and thank you for listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard around the web on LivingWealthyRadio.com, iTunes, and Blog Talk Radio. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at LivingWealthyRadio.com. Hi, Joshua here, producer for Living Wealthy Radio. In today's interview, Teresa sits down with a nationally known thrifty living expert who turned her family's financial disaster into an abundance. If you have money troubles or wish you could stretch your income just a little bit further, you might be surprised by how simple it can be. Over half of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck with no significant savings to fall back on. But with just a few simple changes and some proactive planning, you can be thrifty and thrive at the same time. Today's guest found herself in a family crisis when a real estate investment failed and her husband's new business wasn't an immediate success. She set out to turn things around with a little couponing here and some budgeting there. And what she discovered was a system of frugal living that didn't hold her back. It actually enabled her family to do much more than she ever thought possible. Uh, and in this talk, she shares some very practical insights about budgeting, uh, learning from past mistakes, and even how to get your spouse on the same page. Stay tuned. Today's enriching fact of the day is that you can have the life you want by targeting the little things. Many people are looking for their passion. They want a better life, a better job, a better relationship, and they're waiting for some external force to give them permission to go out and be great and find fulfillment. They're waiting for someone to come and push them into their life calling, but no one is ever coming. People have big dreams and big goals, but they live their entire lives without achieving them. Why? Because the bigness of those dreams is keeping them back. They're waiting instead of doing. The secret to achieving big things in life is waking up every day and doing little things to push yourself forward. You will never feel ready. You will never be comfortable stretching yourself and taking risks. You'll never achieve greatness by accident, only by focusing on the little things in your life that expand you and energize you, and making micro-decisions each day to move yourself forward. Only then will you ever make long-term progress. You have to minimize your need for certainty and perfection, and instead... Discipline yourself to act from your heart and soul. Each day, no matter how scary or risky the decision is, move and act in ways that expand your possibilities and abilities. This is the secret to not procrastinating. The hesitation that holds you back from success is eliminated entirely by thinking small enough to act quickly and decisively every day. Go with your passion in the little things and one day, you will wake up living your dream in a big way. Today's enriching fact reveals that small decisions and actions are the key to having the life you want. By taking consistent action in the small things, you will always be moving forward. 
every journey begins with one small step. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. It's understandable that you might feel in ship shape when the economy is doing well or life is smooth sailing, but when the financial winds kick up or there's an economic downturn or crisis, you realize at the wrong time where the vulnerabilities are in your portfolio. That's why I highly recommend getting a free, customized financial analysis from the team of experts at Financial Battleship. Whether you're a business owner or just looking to shore up your family's finances, Financial Battleship enables you to weather any storm. Their solutions and on-call advisors equip you with liquidity, full use and control of your assets at any time, the option to avoid probate, tax-favored and tax-deferred accumulation and distribution, and so much more. Just head over to buildmybattleship.com for your free analysis, which includes customized insights for cash flow optimization, asset allocation, and a detailed financial blueprint. You'll also get a free ebook loaded with strategic intel for building your financial battleship. Go to buildmybattleship.com and get the confidence to achieve your major financial dreams without the dread of unnecessary risk. Joining us today is Jordan Page, the fun, cheap, or free queen. She's a popular media contributor, blogger, and YouTube star who turned her family's finances around with a common sense approach to budgeting and thrifty living. She's going to share with us how to make our money stretch farther and have fun being frugal. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio, Jordan. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So some would say having fun while being frugal, there's, there's a, that's conflicting, right? Having fun and being frugal. (laughs) (laughs) So how would you address that? Oh my gosh, I get that all the time. I bet. Oh, well, you know, you can talk all you want, but I've kind of learned that the proof is in the, in the pudding, right? There are those who are really good teachers. I have had some really good teachers in my life, but then there are those who you just admire because they walk their own talk. And that's honestly my ultimate goal. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Recently I had a friend that she, she kind of pulled me aside and she was like, okay, girlfriend, like let's talk for a second. She's like, I know, I know you do this whole frugal thing and I know you've done it for a long time, but you know, as the years have gone on, like your finances have flipped around and you're not scraping pennies anymore so like it's all just a facade at this point right like you don't you're not really like counting your grocery money and stuff right and I kind of looked through I'm like I absolutely 100% do everything I say and she said you know why why do you need to it's just oh my gosh it's so much work and it's so boring and and you know I kind of looked at her and like it's what allows me to go on the vacation it's what allows me to live in this house that we have it's what allows us to be able to have this giant family with six kids and to do all the fun things we do it's not in spite of us being frugal but it's 100 percent because of us being frugal and so that's why i'm really not afraid to put myself out there and show the good the bad and the ugly because i hope it shows people by example that it, it's not only possible but it's it's fun it's gang fun <laughs> so tell us how you became a frugal blogger Oh my gosh. Well, the short answer is just on accident, you know, and I think you'll hear that story with a lot of online contributors or influencers, but 
ultimately, um, a really condensed version of the story is when we were newlyweds, we felt it was time for my husband to quit his nine to five stable little job and start a business. And that, that was a real big life change for us because I'm sure many people listening can relate. You know, when you go to from two incomes to one, that's a big jump. And then uh, I became a stay at home mom when we decided to grow our family. And so that, that one little income was really, um, kind of unstable, honestly, because we're self-employed and he's an entrepreneur and we had our good years and our really bad years. And uh, we figured it out and we figured it out pretty quickly, even though, well, ultimately, I mean, there are so many great resources now, but back in the day, I went online looking for help and there really were kind of only a handful of resources. And it was, there were a few really good finance people that were telling me to pay cash for a car and how to pay off my house. And then there were coupon bloggers, but I was like, well, what about like just groceries or what about just, can I afford target or what happens when my kid wants a birthday party? I mean, I'm not even thinking about paying cash for a, a car at this point. So I just kind of figured it out myself, honestly. And, um, which is saying a lot because I'm terrible at math. I don't love budgeting, never have. Um, I have, did not major in finance. I'm just a normal everyday person that's had to figure it out just like everybody else. And so I used the blog as kind of a public way to share what I was learning because I was excited about it, you know, and I really felt compelled to share like, Oh my gosh, you guys, we have this all wrong. It doesn't have to be complicated and it, it really doesn't have to be drab and foreboding and it, it can be great and fun and awesome to be frugal and look at all these neat things available. And, um, so I did it as a hobby and then it just, the internet kind of picked it up and it just kind of took off took off and became what it is now. So you mentioned on your blog that it was an FD or a financial disaster, <laughs> right? That caused you to have this yes. mental shift. So tell us about oh, that yes. financial disaster or as you call it, FD. Yeah, the SD, it's kind of like that must, that which must not be named, you know, at <laughs> the moment of our life. Um, I think sometimes an SD, a financial disaster, can, can happen all at once, kind of like it did for us, and I'll explain it in a second. Or sometimes it can kind of be a slow bleed, and it's not until you look back after a couple of months or a couple of years that you're like, oh, man, how did we get here and what are we going to do? So. Uh, just, you know, putting that out there that it really comes in all forms. But at some point, you get to a point where you feel the need to change what you're doing. And for us, it was we were newlyweds. We had made a poor real estate investment. Uh, it seemed like a sure thing, like a good idea at the time, and it wasn't. And so we had literally $0 in our savings account. We just had to close out our savings account. We had nothing there. Um, like I mentioned, my husband quit his job and started a business. And so I was supporting us on about $40,000 a year, which to us at the time, you know, just felt like an absolute fortune. It's, it's plenty to live off of for two people. But, but then when I got pregnant and became a stay-at-home mom nine months later, that, that income went away overnight. And we, we weren't, we were frugal. We were always frugal. In fact, I won a speech competition in college doing a speech on, how important it was for college students to cook food at home instead of eating out every meal. And my husband and I loved using coupons at restaurants, but 
we got to this point where we didn't know what we were making. We didn't know what we were spending. We didn't really know how to budget. All we knew was how to find a good deal on something. And it's just not enough. You know, it's, it's part of it, but it's not all of it. And my husband really understood investments and 401ks and, but all of that goes away when you become self-employed. And so that didn't help us much. So, um, our SD was really kind of this moment when we had nothing in savings. We were using a credit card to swing us because when my income went away, my husband's self-employed income was very meager. We scraped by, I think, just under $31,000 with our income for a couple of years. And, um, and then we had about $15,000 on credit cards that we had to use on those low months. And we just kind of couldn't really see a way out of it, you know. So that was really the SD for us is one day I woke up and I was like, wow, we are on a scary path here. Like, we only have one kid. What happens when we have three or four? Because we knew we wanted a big family. What happens when a medical emergency happens or, heaven forbid, you know, we blow the tires on our car and we only had one car at the time. What happens when we need to? So I just, it was really this pivotal moment of like, either we're going to live the rest of our lives, just winging it, doing the whole paycheck to paycheck thing, using, you know, the victim excuse that all this stuff happened to us. But really at the end of the day, it was a result of a lot of, you know, educated choices, the choices nonetheless, and some worked out and some didn't. But, and we just got to work, honestly, and that was the, the turning point for us. I want to talk about your real estate investment for a moment, which kind of precipitated the financial disaster. And the reason I want to touch on that for a moment is I, I work with money I have with for over 30 something years. And I can't tell you how many clients have come to me and said, I invested in real estate or I made this investment and it didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, or I invested. And after our conversation, when we are dissecting what happened with the investment, they didn't have enough in reserves. I, I mean, they really had no business, right? Investing the way they did. What would you say if you were to look back? Um, why did your investment not work out? And what would you have done different knowing what you yeah. know today? You know, interestingly, um, hindsight 2020, I probably wouldn't have changed anything because it was a mistake that we needed to learn by. One of the things I think that is the main problem with, with even my generation and how we're raising our kids is that we uh, aren't really used to letting our kids fail early. We try to bail them out of failures as high schoolers and elementary age kids and even in college. So then what happens is you kind of make these big mistakes as adults, which hurt a lot more, you know? So luckily we were in our early twenties when we made this mistake and it completely changed the trajectory of our entire lives. And now flash forward, you know, our house is paid off. We're completely out of debt. We've got three years to live off of in the bank. Now I've got a budgeting program that has helped hundreds of thousands of families across the globe completely reshape their finances um, with, you know, YouTube and the blog. And I've done, TLC and the Today Show and Rachel Ray and all these, I mean, it has led to this immense, profound path, I think, that has been able to reshape lives of much more than just my own. So that being said, I actually appreciate that SD almost more than anything else that's ever happened to me in my life because I needed to be able to fail. But what happened for us and the mistakes we made and how we've been able to avoid making those ever again is that our real estate investment was essentially us 
trying to squeeze ourselves into a house, a property that we couldn't afford. Our plan was we had bought a house straight away when we were very first married, spent every dime of our savings, stretched ourselves far too far into a townhome. And the plan was live in a townhome for a year or two and then build a big home that'll last us a long time and rent out the townhome. And then when we get a little more cash, build another house and rent that one and build another house and rent that one. We were kind of going to be uh, property owners and, and landlords, if you will. And it was just a, a catapult of a lot of mistakes. There's nothing wrong with investing in rental properties. There's nothing wrong with building a home that, that is plenty big enough for you to live in for a long time. The mistake we made is we were living at 100% capacity. Every dime we brought in, we were spending, and even plus, 110% capacity. So what I tell people is, you, I call it the 70% rule in my budget bootcamp program and on my blog, where you have to take not just your income, right? Because that's just whatever your pay stub says or your tax statement says, that, that's not actually what you get to spend. We're talking like your net take-home income, what actually deposits into your account after taxes, after withholdings, after all the things. That is the money you budget off of, not your main paycheck. Because we all know, you know, 35%, 40% plus goes to taxes, and then we put another 10% into tithing and all these other things. So when you have that take-home income, 70% of it is what you have to spend. How you spend it is completely up to you. If you want a big mortgage, that's great. If you want to drive a fancy car, that's great. If you want to put your kids in private ballet lessons, that's great. If you like whole green, clean, organic, top end food, that's great. It's your choice. I'm not going to tell you how to spend it, but you can't ever spend more than 70%. And we were, and that's the real mistake that we got in is because when something happened and something went wrong and a baby came along and a job change happened, we had no fallback. And then along with that too, you know, I recommend that people have at least seven bank accounts and several of those being savings accounts. And one of them being like an emergency savings account that hopefully you never touch, but it's got six months to live off of. And then another savings account that has a little bit of cushion, but that's what you use for emergencies or for saving up for things. And you kind of diversify that money so that when you do finally decide to take that risk, invest in real estate or in oil or in Facebook stock or in a startup business or whatever it is, that you know you're covered because you've got some savings. You've, you've got some emergency savings. You're, if it fits within that 70% of your income, then you know that you'll be fine. You know, you make some choices to make it fit. And that, at the end of the day, is how you make it work. And you can go as risky as you feel comfortable being. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the real estate financial disaster, right, is absolutely a learning lesson. And I am a firm believer that you learn more when you make mistakes than you do when everything goes great. Right. Cause when everything goes great, there's, there's Amen. no friction. There's no stress. There's no looking back and saying, Oh, why'd that go great? Like how often do you think about, Oh, that was, that was great decision I made. This is why it went right. Right. right? You never think about that. Yeah, you just keep going. Yeah. It's when you're in pain. 100%. And when you're trying to, you know, get through your, your, your problem that you're like, Oh, why did I do that? And why did that happen? And that's when you're more open, I think, to really dissecting and, and figuring out, um, what went wrong. 
But what I find so often, and what you said is so beautiful, it's, it's like, it, you know, you've been reading my mind and what I've been telling clients forever. There's a thing called Parkinson's Law. And if you research Parkinson's, um, I forget his first name, but he was a philosopher from, you know, many decades ago or 100 plus years ago. And he said that income rises to the level or sorry, expenses rise to the level of income right? That's how most people live. If you make $100,000 a year, your expenses are 100000 yeah. If you make $500,000 a year, your expenses are 500000 It's just a natural law. Unless you on purpose and intentionally, like you said, live off a smaller amount. And the only way you can yeah, accumulate sure. reserves and wealth is by having that gap. And you've set that gap at 70%. So 70% of your net income is what you're going to use for expenses. And the rest goes to your giving, your charity, your wealth creation, your investing or whatever that Investment. is. Exactly. Yep. And I've got exactly. clients, believe it or not, that actually their number is like 15% and 19% with no debt. Yeah. And they are higher income earners, right? And so it's not like they're making 100,000 just living on 19,000. But that really is the only way that you can accumulate wealth. Because if you're spending everything you got, there's nothing left over. And you're putting yourself in a very precarious position. You guys bought a townhouse. You 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 maxed the limit of, of your townhouse of what you could afford with your townhouse. Something happens, you're you're done. Like what are you gonna do? Right? And so And we saw that. That was in the two thousand seven that we bought the townhouse. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us can have a moment of silence for two thousand eight. What happened? Mm-hmm. Our plan shattered. Because our plan was, wow, we're getting this townhouse, the economy is climbing, we'll be able to rent it or sell it. Yeah, right. It crashed. We weren't able to sell it until two years ago, and we barely made anything on it. I mean, it was just such a change, and we were so maxed thin. It was, yeah, it was just, we put ourselves in a precarious situation that, you know, I agree with you 100%. You can't get wealthy playing that game. No, and there's nothing worse than supporting a property. Right. You know, in, in, in paper and in fantasy world, you know, all our real estate investments are going to support us, right? They're going to cash flow and it's going to be great. And in reality, it rarely happens that way. It just, it's just, you know, the way it is. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And I have many, many clients who have hundreds of property in their portfolios and I know the real numbers. I see them. This is what I do all day long. Right. So if, if you are in a precarious situation or you don't have that much in reserve, you know, I don't care how great the numbers look. You really need a backup plan if you're going to invest in real estate. And for you, it was that FD moment, that financial disaster, that pain that you went through, you and your husband went through and it enabled you to have content and experiences from which you fueled your passion and brought value to the marketplace as a social media influencer on money and being frugal and living. I mean, you've got what, five kids? Six, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So you're raising a family of six, you and your husband, that makes eight. I think there are television shows that are looking for people like you. (laughs) I know. Call me. (laughs) We'd be really good content. We are quite a wild ride. That's because we had the six kids in eight years. So it's it's like a full-blown daycare over here. It's, It's exciting. It's awesome. And the ages of the kids? 
right now from nine to seven months. Oh my gosh. They're they're so cute. They're all just little clones of my husband. They're stunning. Beautiful, beautiful family. And I don't know if they all look like your husband because I I think they're just gorgeous kids. But anyways, so how do you raise a family of eight while being frugal? Yeah. You know, that's another thing that has been such a blessing is so many people say, you know, how do you afford such a large family? You guys just must be so rich and so loaded. And and the truth is we've worked very hard at our jobs and my, um, you know, my enterprise, between my blog and my uh, programs and different things, they, they make me, but I've never taken the money home. We've never lived off of it. We've just been really, really smart. We've been really smart with our money. And it's been a blessing because having a large family has forced us. And sometimes you kind of need that push, right? It's almost like the SE. You can say to yourself, oh, I should go on a diet. I should eat healthier. I really should use my gym membership or my Boflex in the basement. But it's not until you go to the doctor and he's like, you, your blood pressure is dangerous or you need to do something or your life, you know, sometimes you need that push, right? In order to find the motivation. And for me, my big family is a constant motivation because we've always wanted a big family, but I am, I don't even know if there's a term for it, but I'm the opposite of a minimalist. We'll call myself a maximalist. How about that? I'm a maximalist. I am one of those that is not an or person. I'm an and person. I want a big family and I still want to travel. I want, you know, to be frugal and I want a big house. I want um, six kids or more. I don't even know. Um, And I want to be able to put them in extracurricular activities, you know. So we've had to get really scrappy and, and really smart. And one of the things, that I tell everyone to focus on first is the basic stuff that you have control over every single day. Um, I think, you know, big misconception, because I'm a, like a budgeting expert. And so a lot of people are like, oh, man, I really need to budget better for my medical expenses. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. Is that a budget or is that an expense? Because in my mind, bills, utilities, emergencies, mortgage, that kind of stuff to me is is an expense and not really something you can budget for because what happens when you budget for gas gasoline and all of a sudden you are in the middle of the road and you're like oh shoot i need gas but uh my gas budget's out for the month i guess i'll just sit here till till june i mean no you don't you just work that in as an expense right you obviously try to be frugal so i said focus on the things you can actually budget for and we're talking day-to-day week-to-week spending the little stuff uh, coffee in the morning, eating out, groceries is a huge one for any family. The amount of waste and unnecessary spending regarding food is just, especially in, in the U.S., it's just astronomical, the amount of waste. Um, so if you do nothing else, nothing else in the whole world but button up on your day-to-day, week-to-week spending that you have control over, your budget, that could make or change the rest of your life. And, you know, for groceries, for example, of course, I'm going to say this with a little, a little disclaimer, but it depends, of course, upon medical diet situations and where you are in the country, of course. But a general food budget guideline that I like to give is $100 per person in your family per month, starting at $300. So for me, for my family of eight, 
that would be $800 a month for groceries. Uh, for a family of two adults and two kids, that would be $400 a month, give or take. You know, if you um, need to up that a little bit. But if you cook at home, if you eat your leftovers, if you stock up a little bit when things are on sale, like maybe you buy three instead of one, so you have stuff on hand, it is really, really reasonable and completely doable for the most part. And if you start there, that can make or change the difference of any family of any size. So what are some of the biggest budget mistakes people make? Like what you said with gas, right? Um, or with, um, I, you know, your utilities, right? You know, some, some of that we may have a little bit of control over, but if you're stuck in the middle of the highway and you run out of gas and run out of gas money, like it's just not, <laughs> it, it's not practical to think, yeah. you know, um, I'm going to wait until next month when I've got, you know, more money for my gas, right? So how, what are, what are some of the biggest budget mistakes people, people make? Do you see? Well, I mean, there are a lot of things that I'm sure you see as well. Our list could be very long, but to summarize, I think number one mistake people make is just to overcomplicate it. I, I know of a really popular system that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of or tried and I'll use it as, a, as an example. And that's the cash envelope system, mm-hmm. which is great. I don't want to knock it. If it's working for anyone listening, like, please don't ever stop doing it. But the reality of the cash envelope system is it's a system where you have, like, let's say, 10 envelopes, 12 envelopes. And you put a little bit of cash in each envelope. And each envelope is designated to a specific budget. An eating out budget, a haircutting budget, a dog food budget, a um, grocery budget, whatever, all these different budgets. And you have to manage those every month. And the reality is people will do it. They'll jump on the wagon, maybe do it even for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, but it, it doesn't really work long term because at the end of the day, it's too uh, micromanaged. It's, it's too many numbers. It's too much to carry around. It's just too complicated. So what I would say is unless it's completely working for you, I tell people to Keep that same concept, and I actually call it the envelope budget system. Um, for those who want a lot more information, you can just Google it on my blog, funcheaperfree.com. But essentially, give yourself two budgets each week. Just two. That's it. Like, pretend you have, like, two different envelopes, maybe. And one of the envelopes is the you, you assign it to whatever you spend the most money on week to week. For most people listening, it's probably food or groceries. Um, and remember, we're talking about budgets, not expenses. So don't think about bills, utilities, debt, or emergencies. Like, eliminate all that. We're just talking week-to-week spending. So for me and most people listening, it's probably groceries or food. Yeah, so that's your envelope number one. That's your one budget. And then your other budget is called other. <laughs> and it's just for everything else. And basically, all you do is give yourself just a number each week. And that number each week, you can spend it on whatever comes up that week. Maybe it is a haircut. Maybe it is new soccer cleats. Maybe it is a new uh, a baby gift for a baby shower you invited to. Whatever it is, just simplify it. Just give yourself a budget each week. And let's say for easy math sake, it's $300 a week. Well, then figure out what you need for groceries. Maybe that $150 of that goes to groceries and then you have $150 for whatever else comes up. And that's how simple it should be. 
And, and then, of course, you should break it down per week instead of per month because, for one, there are some weeks that have, or some months that have more weeks than others, and that gets really tricky math-wise. But also, there's a reason we don't count calories a month at a time. Like, it's just a lot to, to pace. You know, it's, it's hard to pace ourselves over 30 or 31 days. Give yourself seven days. Give yourself a budget for seven days. That covers all of your week-to-week spending, and that's it. And then you make decisions within that. If there's a week where we have nothing in the house, we've been out of town for a week, no groceries, I've got company coming, then out of that $300, maybe 200 or 250 of that goes to food, and I only have $50 or whatever else. Because what? Your budget rolls over in six more days. Anyone can survive six days. Just don't go to a movie. Just don't go out to dinner for your date night. Just wait. Or do something at home or you know, make a different decision instead and just wait six more days. Your budget will roll over. And since you bought so many groceries six days ago, and if you're being smart and you're cooking and you're making things from scratch and you're eating your leftovers and you're not wasting, then you could probably spend 250 of that $300 budget on whatever else you need and probably only need $50 for a few little fresh things at the grocery store to supplement your fridge. So just keep it simple. Keep yourself a budget per week, you know, break it down between just groceries and everything else if you need to. You can kind of keep track of how much you're spending one way or another. Do it a week at a time and just start there. And then everything else, you know, the bills and the mortgage and the debt payments and utilities, all of that, don't treat it like a budget because you can't really budget for that stuff necessarily. It just has to fit within that 70%. So do the math. Find out how much you make. Excuse me. Find out how much you bring home for others. Do the math and start with the important things. Your mortgage, your bills, your utilities, your debt payments, your credit card payments. See how much you have left and that kind of tells you how much budget you have left week to week to spend on other things. I think that's fantastic advice. I think it's really good practical advice because 30 days, you know, budgeting for 30 days and running out of money on the 15th day just is overwhelming to people and they break down. Or seven, if you're me. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's really, really good advice. And if you make it too complicated, um, people won't follow it. And so the envelope system, like, you know, people used to use a long time ago and some people still use today. If you've got too many envelopes, that also is very complicated. So you've got, you know, food and you've got other, um, or you could do food and fun and other, you know, if you've got six kids and you don't cut their hair, I don't, I don't know what you do for, for your kids hairs. You probably cut it yourself, but, um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but it's nice that I, I get to choose, you know, and like my husband, just to clarify, um, one thing I recommend for each family is to divide and conquer. If he and I are both in charge of the cooking and the groceries and the, you know, we're kind of stepping on each other's toes. And it doesn't mean that I make all the decisions when it comes to food or groceries. It just means that I'm managing that budget. I'm the one actually typically buying. He can help attribute to the grocery list and help me come up with what to make for dinner. He even helps me in the kitchen once in a while. But then I'm in charge of that. Whereas him, his two budgets are actually entertainment and other because he's in charge of date night and every time we go as a family if we go to an arcade or bowling or on vacation or out to eat or do something as a family he 
he's the one that tracks and manages that budget. Um, so, you know, you just have to kind of decide who's in charge of what, and then that's what your budget is, um, you know, week to week, if that clarifies a little. So it would, I'm going to assume that both of you are on the same page in terms of budgets, but what would you say to couples who are not on the same page? What I've found is typically there's a spender and there's a saver, right? And for whatever reason, opposites attract so often, or there's a saver and another one who is super saver, right? And like really, really, really more of a saver than the other one, right? Um, And rarely do I meet, you know, two super savers, I meet more often to super spenders, right? And so you've yeah, got the opposites or you've got two spenders. And then, you know, every now and then I find people that, you know, are, are like really extreme savers. Um, or, or they or one, one in the relationship will defer to the other in terms of money. And they're just very, they go along with whatever, right? I do, I do see that often. So yeah, sure. what would you say to people who are that you know their mate their partner is a spender and they're a saver or they're the spender and they want to change i will say this is number one hands down without fail the hardest part of budgeting finances adulthood marriage in general is sharing a life with someone and they're not a clone of us you know so obviously um, we're all going to think differently and not being on the same page as your spouse. And there's a reason why money is one of the top leading causes of divorce, right? Like it's really, really hard. It can be very discouraging. Um, in fact, in my budgeting program, that it, we have an entire section on like getting on the same page as your spouse. And it's one of our most robust sections because it's such a huge issue. So keep in mind that I can only give a few minutes of advice here, but if I were to give the top tip, it would be just first sit down and never do it at home, by the way. You should always talk about money in a public place because you'll be less likely to yell or storm out or cry. So we call it a money date, actually, and um, we have a whole system of this in my program, but you go to dinner if you can afford it. Um, and, or, you know, you take a picnic and go to a public place and that's where you talk about it. Cause you're, you're on your better behavior. You're not tired. You're not looking around at the, you know, dingy windows and the pile of laundry. Cause that adds a different level of stress, right? So get out of the house and bring your little laptop or your tablet or your notebook or whatever. And you specifically go and you, you talk about money and do it often. Like we call it a weekly weigh-in where you should probably check in every week. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a restaurant every time, but at least monthly full blown. Um, but when the very first conversation should be less about like, we need to do this. We need to do this. Look at where we're at. This is so frustrating. Like I hate this, but really talking about goals, like, okay, we're going to drop the money talk. We're going to talk about life here. And we need to sit down and say like, what do we want our life to look like in 10 years? Where, what do we want our house to smell like? How many kids do we want? Like, what do we want to be doing with our time? What do we want to be doing with our careers? Like, what, how much do we want in the bank? You know, where do we want to have traveled to or be traveling to? What do we want to have accomplished? And that's where we started. You have to find the motivation first before anything else. 
And I'm going to relate this back to fitness and weight loss because I think money is hard for people to relate to, but everyone at some point has been aware of like dieting or a weight loss journey in some way or another. But it's kind of like if there's a spouse that's healthy and um, maybe more conscious with their food intake or exercising and the other spouse isn't. And you can't ever tell a spouse to be motivated to get in shape. It'll never work. It'll never be for them. They'll they'll hide the Snickers in the closet. They'll, you know what I mean? They'll resent you. It'll be miserable. It has to be that at some point they find the motivation themselves and they find it deep down. And that's what keeps them going when the treadmill gets really crappy and the lettuce just gets old after day after day, you know? So you have to start with the motivation and find out if you have a spouse that is fully unmotivated by budgeting of any kind, hates it, maybe they cry, maybe you get a fight. You just say, what would you do if you had an extra $10,000? Like, what excites you? What do you want out of life? Maybe it's a new theater, home theater system. And you know what? Maybe for you, that feels like the dumbest thing on the planet. But for them, that's exciting, you know? And it's like, okay, how, how do we get there? How do we get you that theater system? Like, we certainly can't afford it right now, but let's work toward it. Who cares, you know? For me, it was a house. I wanted a really big house. And it's, I don't know why, something from my childhood, I just wanted a lot of square footage so I could just gather people. I wanted my house filled with teenagers and friends and family. I wanted our house to be hanging out. It was important to me. Not because I wanted a big, ostentatious mansion, but because deep down, it's just like the life that I wanted. And it wasn't until I saw that as like maybe actually someday becoming a reality that I actually became motivated. And then from there, you get tactical. And that's where, you know, I mentioned dividing and conquering. You print out all your credit card statements or your bank statements. Or if you spend cash on things, it gets tricky. I actually always recommend using a debit card. Or if you get to the point where you're responsible enough to use a credit card, because then everything is digitally tracked. But um, sit down. Get a blue highlighter and a pink highlighter. And you just go down the list. And we were like, okay. Uh, babysitters, I'll take that under my responsibility. Uh, Bubba, um, attorneys and like will, living wills and their tax guys and filing our taxes. And hey, you take all that. Um, you take car stuff and oil changes. I don't know anything about that. I'll take, you know, dentists and haircuts and home decor. And we literally went down and made a list, a your list and my list. And it became, okay, here's the rule. Let's figure out the math on how much we can afford for everything on my list and everything we can afford on your list. And we gave a high five and a ready break. And I just got out of his way and I just let him do it his way. It drives me nuts because he is like disorganized and he, you know, doesn't write things down. It it works. It works for him. He likes to use apps and all the stuff that I don't get for me. I have like my little notebook and I like to keep things in a notepad on my phone and, you know, and so he tracks his stuff and I track mine. And then when we come together at the end of the week, instead of saying, why did you go to Target again? What do we really need another pair of shoes for our daughter? No, it was you report on yourself. This is how I did with my budget this week. I went under by five bucks or like I went over by 10 bucks, but I'll take that out of next week and I'll do better. You always report on yourself. Those tips alone will change everything and you'll never fight about money ever again. If you focus on motivation, divide and conquer, and then you report on your own spending and get out of the other person's way. 
I think that's great advice. I think, Jordan, you know, I I salute you. Congratulations on creating an amazing family life. It sounds like you've, you and your, your husband have figured a lot thing, of things out that really trip up many, many couples with a lot like a lot less kids than you have, right? Uh, managing what you've done. Uh, I'm so, so impressed with what you've accomplished. Your website is funcheaporfree.com. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we sign off for today? No, I think that's it. Um, I just, you know, I guess I'd like to just end with maybe a little message of hope because for anyone out there who just feels an angsty pit in their stomach or a constant weight, great or small, on their shoulders in regards to finances, budgeting, their financial situation, I just want you to know I, I get it. I've been there. It was really hard for for a long time. And you know what's interesting? It doesn't really get easier. We make plenty of money now. It's almost harder because we have to say no now, not out of necessity, but out of principle. And it, it's almost harder. And um, But the reality is, is it doesn't have to be miserable. It's just part of being a grown-up, you know? It, and it can be fun. It can be pretty simple. It can really lead you to the life you want. It just takes a little bit of work, a little bit of grit, you know, and a lot of patience. But it it gets hard for a second and then it just becomes amazing. And if anybody wants help, um budgetbootcamp.com is my budgeting program. We'd, we'd be happy to have you. Um, but otherwise yeah, farmcheaperfree.com is my free frugal living blog. has a lot of just fun little lifestyle tips and recipes and budgeting tips and things there. But Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that the world had a show like this one that they could be inspired by regularly. I just love it. Oh, Jordan, that's so sweet. Again, which is your budgeting website? Budgetbootcamp.com. Budgetbootcamp.com. Uh, my budgeting program. Yeah, can I throw out a promo code? Just of on the course. Spot, on a whim? Thank <laughs> you. If anyone is listening, let's call it um, living. Use the code living, L-I-V-I-N-G for about 15% off of the program for anyone listening. That is super generous of you. And I, I would suggest living wealthy if you could do that as code, cause that's uh, a lot of our sure. other uh, okay. guests will just use living wealthy. Cause you know, it's easier to remember than just living. So Great. let's do living wealthy then living wealthy for 15% off done and done budgetbootcamp.com 15% off your budget program Jordan my absolute best to you may God bless you and your family always and thank you again for being on livingwealthyradio.com thank you you've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio heard around the web on livingwealthyradio.com iTunes and Blog Talk Radio download or subscribe to our podcast to hear a new show every week I am Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.